I'm sure there. I'm sure there will be questions to expand on the introductions. But I'm Nick so, Jimenez. Uh, I founded a, a website that nobody knows about called DadeMag.com, and on that website lives, among other things, Pancom Podcast, which is a podcast hosted by the uh, rain-coated man sitting next to me, eighth-grade basketball MVP and Ford Bronco enthusiast, yep. alleged chef Michael Beltran. Chili cook-off champion. And chili cook-off champion. Right. Yeah. Uh, and two-time. Six, Sixth-grade uh, most improved player on the volleyball team. Right. And and also uh, uh, Elvis impersonating Santa Claus. Elvis, and I won an award for that. Yeah. Elvis impersonating Santa Claus. Is that Claus true? In the eighth grade. Yeah, that's correct. <laughs> I was such an incredible. Did you actor. think this would go so deep so soon? Yeah. <laughs> okay. I was an incredible actor in middle school, right? They wanted me to go on to do like acting school. And I was so like, no, what? I want to have friends. What middle school did you go to? Oh, so many. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> all the middle schools. Yeah, I went to so many. He just bounced I, around. I got kicked out of a couple, but I ended at Sunset Prep uh, and I was there for two years. Yeah. Wait, but it is in middle school like three years? Yeah, well, I got kicked out of the one before, and then they sent me to that one, and then that one kept me. That, and then okay. elementary school, it was two different schools. So, yeah. Columbus kept me, though. Yeah. That's the most important one. Columbus accepted me. Nice. They let you yeah. explore. They let me explore. That's a big <laughs> achievement. Cause... Yeah, they let me explore there. Yeah. How about you, Nick? What was your, like, childhood Miami and school experience like? School experience, it's like the most Miami question, right? What schools did you go to? Yeah. Um, I only went to two schools total. So I was uh, from K through five at Conchita Espinosa Academy. Wow. I don't know what that is. It's like three blocks from Belen, which is where okay. I was from six through 12. Okay. At Belen uh, Jesuit, where we did much less exploring. Men for others. Yeah. Well, we did. Different type of exploring. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so we'll just move on from there. <laughs> Let's hope your adulthoods are <laughs> for for all the young ones listening. They Oof. probably don't know what they're young ones. Hopefully, this is a Pancom podcast, I guess. All right, got it. Yeah. Um, well, now that you brought up Pancom podcast, let's go behind the podcast for also oh the older generations listening. Hopefully, they can mm. get the reference right. Like, yeah, do you guys yeah, yeah. remember behind the music? Yes. Oh, yeah. Man. Yeah. I did. I, it, it didn't hit me when I saw it in your in in the the show notes behind the podcast. But now I get behind and the music. Saying, yeah. I'm like, yeah, I got it behind the podcast. Yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. Good. I, I was good. hoping you would get the reference. Yeah, yeah. So hopefully everybody listening yeah. can get the reference. And it's just a matter yeah. of time before. And if you're too young, now? look it up. It's uh, a yeah. yeah. You got a surprise waiting for you. Yeah, that was yeah. that was a good show. It was. It was. Oh. Now we could do a whole a whole uh, theme like we could do behind the podcast, making the podcast. Mm -hmm. Where's yes. the podcast now? Well, no, no, because that means that oh, Punko podcast unplugged. I don't know what that I don't know what that would be, but I don't know, but that sounds super cool. What was your favorite unplugged episode? Do you remember? Yeah, I really liked Jay Z's unplugged, even though I don't really like Jay Z that much. I mean, Erica Badu, I'm pretty sure had like a really great one. Yeah, I remember hers. I don't know. Those, I think. I mean, the Jay-Z, like, unplugged album is, like, amazing. Really right. good. I didn't really watch any unplugged <laughs> Yeah. Or if I did, I, I, mean, I don't, I don't you, remember. If it's not on YouTube, it's not on Nick's radar. Well, okay. I, I also didn't have cable until, like, into high school. Right. So I wasn't watching any MTV things. Yeah. Uh, you were. Earlier than that. 
Mm-hmm. Right. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Yep. You were probably like one of the, the good kids. Yeah, I mean, I, I, yeah, maybe more boring than good. But Shock. Yeah. I'm shocked. Right. Yeah, nobody was kicking me out of their middle schools. So coming back to behind the podcast, how did, uh, let's start with the name, because that's what fascinated me the first time I discovered you guys was yeah. the name, Pancom yeah. Podcast. A, that is the coolest name. This is a point of contention. I've accepted let's... the fact that Nick says he came up with the name. And You've accepted that I say I came up with it. <laughs> and that's fine. And that's cool. Like, we're just going to run with it. You know, it's fine. It The name came from a... Uh, uh, an Instagram, like a sort of offhand Instagram caption that I wrote when we were doing Tea Time with Mike and Mike, which was a podcast that I was helping, you know, produce and whatever. Uh, Michael Ortiz, who owns Jojo Tea, okay, was doing a podcast called Tea Time with Mike and Mike, which he was doing with Michael Beltran. That's how I meet Mike Beltran, nice. uh, helping Mike Ortiz with his podcast. And we were recording at Chugs when it was still under construction. The first to, one to become Chugs 1.0, right? right. The, when it was going to be a, a like a roughly one year pop up. Right. So I posted a picture on Instagram that I was recording a podcast with them, and since they were sitting at the counter of what was going to be the diner, I put that we were <clears throat> serving Pancom podcast. And then later on, when the two of us were talking about doing this new podcast, that became like the the name. Like as soon as that was thrown out, I was like, "What if we called it this?" I was like, "Yeah, obviously." And then I find out later. Apologies to the children. I guess I won't say, but I find out later, like maybe a year into doing the podcast, that Mike the whole time thinks that this is like a phallic reference, like a joke on uh, on Pancom Bibi. What do you mean? Oh, it's not. That's never what it was supposed to be. And you said so, like you when you went to to Cleveland to record with Brett. Uh-huh. You actually bring this up in the interview, like, oh yeah, we've got a podcast called Pancom Podcast. It's a play on on Pancom Bibi. Well, this is kind of the same thing, right? It's like the no, same it's, kind it's of just joke. A, it's just I a thought podcast. it was like Pancom Pasta. It's just like a like a pancake well, I mean, sandwich, you know pancake lechon, pancake bite. That's yeah. where my head was. It's, yeah, yeah, yeah. it's wherever yeah. your head's at. It's it's yeah. It's, it's, <laughs> I mean, it's wherever you want to go. Live your truth. Yeah, live your truth. <laughs> That's true. I mean, I think that you know, but we've accepted that you you know you yeah. say you came up with the name. That's fine. Yeah. We're going to roll with that. Great. It's totally okay. Great. So that's the story. That's the story. Yeah. The, yeah. The I true love story it. of how um, Nick conned me into doing this podcast was. I w- we were doing the podcast with Mike, remember? Yeah. Yep. And then me and Mike were doing a really dreadful job. I mean, the podcast was like five hours long each one, not edited, sound was terrible. But we had such a good time. You know, Mike was really into long format podcasts, yeah. like very long. Um, so it was cool and it was fun. And then Nick came in to tr- give us some kind of structure. And then um, Mike moved to New York for what was it, like eight months, right? Something like that. He had a pop-up. Yeah, he had a up pop-up going on in New York. So then we stopped, and then um, Nick recruited me to do another podcast. Um, yeah. And then, you know, whatever. That we said was going to not be long several format, hours long, right? and, and now some okay. of them are three hours long. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, I mean, if the conversation's good, like, you know, just let it happen. Yeah, I mean, so I, I will say, you know, you're saying that, that Tea Time was dreadful. Tea Time with Mike and Mike... I think it just had a very specific idea of who its audience was. Well, no, I mean, dreadful is the fact that like we like we had zero structure. We didn't know like yeah, talk, like our tools, everything like it was sound quality was bad. Everything was bad. But I, but I think it was an example of the kind of podcast where like some people would hear it and think, "Who on earth is listening to this?" Right. But it was really intended for a, a very narrow audience. So Mike right. Ortiz 
really, I think, was more interested in other people in the business. Like you were obviously on the podcast, but people like you listening to it yeah. Yeah. and having it be a way that they, they could feel like they were connecting with him, right. which I think they were. Right. So, you know, it, it was the kind of three or four hour thing that, yeah, maybe you only stick around for half an hour, but maybe you find it fun enough that you stick around for three right. or four hours. And it was back. yeah. And it was kind of an interesting like uh, like a very loose, very informal um, marketing thing, like loose and informal to the point that I don't know if you remember uh, what's the the painter guy's name. That oh you yeah, Matt Hergit when he was doing when uh, Matt Hergit was doing that weird African drug. Yeah, they were. It, it, <laughs> it's like snorting some kind of weird. Well, bl they blow it into your nose. Yes, like your yeah. friend blows this. Uh, I forget what it was. Hash like into your nose. Yeah, and then it's like supposed to put you on a different plane. Yeah, so I watched. I, I the watched two of us that, were there watching. Yeah, watched that. For, and what happened to him? Did he go to a different plane? I mean, I think like they're him. both kind of always on another plane. Okay, so they had like one leg on the other side, anyway. Yeah, sure. yeah, yeah. yeah, they were just like okay. going right back completely over there. But they're both amazing human beings. Matt Hergit is incredibly talented too. All that is to say that where where tea time I think was intended for a very narrow audience, Bunkum podcast is really intended for. Um, not that we're trying to be all things to all people, but we oh. we are trying to be have we're we're trying to have a, a little bit of a broader appeal, right? Right. Uh, you don't have to be in the business. You right. don't even have to necessarily be into food because it's not a podcast about food. Right. Mm -hmm. um, all that you know takes up the lion's share of of what we talk about. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, so it's that I think that was really what we were trying to. Yeah, we're to not do. like sipping tea and taking notes. Right. Mm -hmm. So Damn. it's a little more broad. I feel seen right now. <laughs> no, <I'm... laughs> right, you got tea and notes. No, I mean, the whole idea yeah, behind yeah. Tea Time was like, we're going to drink a different tea and we're going to talk right. about it and we're going to take right. notes on it and then people are going to yeah. try it. But it was like, you know, it's like you said, it's like a broad marketing thing and it was smart. I mean, right. yeah. the real tea people that liked it and they liked the industry all listened to it. I mean, all four hours of it. That's amazing. Yeah. That's cool. super cool. It's a good time. Yeah. And then obviously you guys transitioned into, like you said, Fancom podcast. Right. Yeah. So what inspired that besides obviously um, you we, know, your friendship? We, I mean, we weren't really friends when we started. No. No. Yeah. No, we weren't. No. Yeah. I think, but when we started Fancom podcast, am I like? Sorry, I'm scratching things off your mug. No. Uh, not at all. <laughs> no, 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 I don't want to destroy your mug. <laughs> um, yeah. So we actually met through Tea Time, but you know, we'd yeah. get there for Tea Time uh, with Mike and Mike. Mm-hmm. That would last like five hours. So by the time the podcast was done, we wanted to not see each other anymore. So it's not like we were hanging out. Sure. But then when Mike Ortiz left town, Mike Beltran and I get together. And um, I, I think it was from there. So like, I don't know. Yeah, around 2016-ish. Mm -hmm. No, sorry, 2018-ish. Yeah, summer of 2018 was was really when we started to like get to know each other beyond just sitting next to each other while people blew things up each other's noses. Right. <laughs> yeah. Man, that you was transitioned. Weird, that, was a, that, that was a weird podcast. Yeah. Man, I remember that. But I mean, in terms of what inspired it or what the, you know, what the purpus was. So I had started uh, datemag.com mm -hmm. in, in 2016, which is where my confusion was, uh, while I was working uh, editing Cigar Snob Magazine, right. which actually their offices, unless they've moved since, are like two buildings down. I think um, I've seen them. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, so uh, I started datemag.com just as a way to put, th as a place to put things that didn't have a natural home in Cigar Snub, mm. right? And then over time, on the one hand, it started to develop an audience, but on the other hand, like, because it was just such a mishmash of things that I thought would be interesting, it, it wasn't, I wasn't doing things frequently enough. 
um, to build an audience that just kept coming back for more of a thing. Right. And I didn't want it to just be me, right? Because I didn't want somebody to land on the site and think like, oh, this is just this Nick person's personal blog, you know? Mm. I, I wanted, see what you're saying. I yeah. wanted it to be like a broad, like a topically broad web magazine. And I thought like if I build with just me, then it's very easy for it to fall into just being Nick and the things he cares about. So I approached Mike because over the course of the Tea Time thing, I realized that, you know, we we liked a lot of the same things about Tea Time. And we also, there were things about Tea Time that we felt we didn't necessarily identify with. So I, I saw that we had enough in common in terms of how we thought about that podcast and how we might do another one. And that was confirmed, I think, when we started to talk about what this might be. Yeah. yeah. I mean, what, what did we talk, when we talked about, what did we say it was going to be? So uh, you never like when I bring this up, but from the beginning, I, I was, uh, for analogy's sake, using like Bourdain okay. as an example. Not because, I'm, because yeah, and I get it, like, you know, it's like if you tell, you know, whoever that they're like, you know, but I'm like as a model. Right, right, right. right Bourdain has all this broad appeal because he has all the food credibility, but he also has these interests that he lets you in on, Yeah, you know? And so like the Balvini scotch did a series called, was it crafted? Yeah. That's such a good, I mean, were they 15 minutes each or something? Yeah. Something yeah, like that. Small. And they're like short documentaries about people who make things by hand. And so like, True. yeah, there's one that there's a guy who makes chef's knives, but there's another one where he like Anthony Bourdain spends 15 minutes on this guy who's a, a tailor, Yeah, you know? And it's, He's coming to all these different things through this, with this like chef's sensibility mm -hmm. and like that understanding of, you know, uh, or at least that lens of like craft and culture and what have you. Yeah. So I think that, you know, what we're doing at Pancom Podcast is something very similar where like, yeah, maybe 50% or more of our guests are in the food industry, but we can also bring on somebody like Ed Reed, right? Mm -hmm. The uh, Football Hall of Famer and, um, and the conversation that you have with Ed you're still coming to some of those ideas of leadership and all that. For sure. You play football too, but yeah. from a restaurant lens. Yeah, I mean, leadership takes form in uh, every industry. And like, you know, football, kitchens, whatever. Right. They're really working in an office. So I don't and know, same but... deal with like the artists that we talked to like when you're talking with Mario. Yeah, creativity and, then, and then creativity in a different dynamic too. You know, yeah. I think that there's like... Um, cooking and food and like everything about restaurants can relate to different types of people from different walks of life again from athletes to creatives like uh artists poets writers whatever yeah. you know musicians um because I, I think that and then also like we can sit there and chop it up with people that are ceos for fortune 500 companies because you know we also run a business so it gives us the opportunity to be like well versed in a lot of things um and then if you're fortunate enough to like carry some you know fraction of success in the industry and you learn as much as you can about it then you can talk on that too it's like how to deal with that also so i think it changes like you just you know i think that's why we also became friends because you know nick is worldly he's got a lot of <laughs> he's got a lot of opinions about a lot of stuff so it's easy to have a very long conversation with Nick. Oh man. Yeah. That's sounds a little bit backhanded. Oh, <laughs> that's fine. I'll take it. No, it's a compliment. Sure. It's a compliment. Sure. Yeah. Right. <laughs> In this day and age, right? Having an right. opinion. It's it's definitely a good thing. Yeah, I I, I guess. Depends on who you ask. Depends but on yeah. who you ask. Yeah, yeah. Having an opinion isn't always like a great thing. Depends who you ask. I think it's great for everyone to have opinions. 
Right. I think it's great for everybody to disagree. Everyone should Absolutely. disagree more often and then have a conversation and not be mad about it. That's yeah. the key. That would be like. Know? Having a conversation. That's yeah. where everything starts. Yeah. Yeah, correct. But um, back to your podcast. The So I was an organic listener, meaning like I listened before I knew you. So Which blows our minds. You still wanted to meet us. Yeah, that's crazy. Still- <laughs> that's crazy. Wow. So one of the things that at first, like the first thing that attracted me was the food angle because food is so integral, right, to everybody, to culture. So the fact that you take food as that first stepping stone into bringing listeners in and then you expose them to all these other things like you mentioned, you know, uh, the business or arts, I I think it's genius and so um, obvious in a way. Right, because our mm-hmm. first interaction with culture is not even language; is food. So. Well, I, I mean, I think, um, like, food is one of the last opportunities for people to sit down and have a conversation without being interrupted. Yeah. You know, and I think that that's like the value—a huge value of food—is the community that that it brings. You know, it when you talk about like you know, breaking bread, you know, you break bread over several different angles or like for reasons, you know. Break bread because you have a disagreement. Yeah, break I, just, bread. I just realized that I had turned my mug around and I was depriving you of your break. No, it's fine. To have that I'm about to facing take, the camera. I'm about to take your mug away from you because you're going to break <laughs> it and keep like fidgeting it. Um, yeah, I mean that's why I think that's why food is a good starting point for any kind of conversation. You know, whether you disagree, whether you miss each other, whether you haven't, you know, um, I don't know. It's just it's the thing. And it's it's a great point to start at, you know, people always it's like the age old question is like, so what's your favorite thing to cook? Yeah. (laughs) Okay. I mean, I guess if we want to start there and then, you know, we'll go deeper. That's fine. But um, it's a starting point. And I think that that's important. I think that's why food is like a good get for it. I I like to think that I push more of the angle outside of food than Mm -hmm. Nick does. But. You know, because I mean, and I'm with them. I like a lot. I like talking to food people also. But I think talking to people outside of the industry, like consuming what they understand about my industry and then how it works with whatever they do for a living, I think is also very intriguing. Right. I think there's also just the limitation of the medium, right? Like, even if you want to make it all about food, at some point you can only take talking about the food so far Mm -hmm. if people aren't physically there to experience the food yeah. and and so at some point if you're just talking about if it's just hearing people talk about flavors and what have you then it starts to get repetitive at some point or another well it's like the weird um i mean you know you watch a lot of youtube or whatever the ones that yep. it's just sounds of people just chewing it's a, shit. A, a, what right? is that so mukbang 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 yeah oh, see i don't even know that yeah. it's just like people with endless hours of people chewing and drinking and there's some overlap between mukbang which I'm totally making up that that's how you pronounce it, but it's like, I think it's a Korean thing. Mukbang. Uh, Mukbang. Mukbang. Yeah, so Mukbang, we're taking this uh, hard left turn here. But but Mukbang is like this genre of YouTube video that, I guess not exclusively YouTube, but genre of of video where it's it's sort of like ASMR, but the whole thing of it is like watching somebody eat a lot. Yeah. And I only recently, I discovered this through uh, uh, Devin Braddock, your pastry chef. Oh, yeah, that's and right. She's a big mukbang fan. Yeah, the, uh, who's the guy she always posts? Man, there's one guy know. she posts all the time. That I mean, he like eats like five pound yeah. bowls of pasta. It's, it's like crazy. It's, it's, a, it's a whole. It's a whole thing. And but people then, just watch. Yeah. Okay, my mind is blown right now. Right. Like, yeah, how do you no, feel about this? Have you watched? I have watched because there's nothing I won't watch. I have. <laughs> I have not. 
I have not. <laughs> I have not watched. I don't plan to. But. No, it's. It, uh, I don't know. I that well, doesn't like, sound like something I would. Because I love all the weird. Mike knows this. Like I can't. One I can't not watch the weird stuff. So okay. like there's. There's such a variety, like, I don't remember any of their names, but there's, like, one guy who is this, like, big, obnoxious, like, high-pitched voice guy who sits in his car most of the time and just eats a bunch of, like, maybe fast food and, like, pretends that it's a review, but you're really just there because you find it, like, fascinating somehow that this guy's eating. And there's another person who I think is hilarious, and I don't know where this person is or whatever, but they do it, like, on a, uh, not a green screen, but, like, you know, a black screen. And then wear what I assume is like a ski mask or something that just exposes the mouth. So what you're seeing is just like this black screen and like a floating mouth with two little googly eyes on the like <laughs> upper lip area. So it's like this weird, surreal, like floating mouth eating spaghetti thing. And I just, it, it blows me away that these things exist and I can't look away when I come across them. Got it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I can look away. Yeah, yeah I, I have no I'm, I'm yeah, there with you. He doesn't even listen to our podcast, so I don't. Yeah, which is Never? fine. I, I get it. Like I wouldn't either if I was already I listen, there for the conversation. I listen to parts of a couple just because I need to, but yeah, yeah, no. I, I feel the same way. I have a hard time listening to the podcast that I'm on. Yeah, yeah. I don't like just, watching things I'm on, listening to things I'm on. Yeah, yeah. No. I, no, I agree. I I only listen to things because I have to in the course of the edit, right? Right. So. Right, right, right. But it's always uncomfortable. You never get used to the sound of your own voice. No, no. It's so crazy how that works. Yeah. I'll probably listen to this. And you constantly, like, yeah. say, oh, I should have said this, or I should right. have added that, or yeah. it's, uh, you become know. extremely critical. Yeah. But that's, a th- I also can't help myself there, right? So, like, I'll probably listen to this just to torture myself and, like, <laughs> think of all the things I should have done and said Perfect. differently. I'll, how, I'll, I'll probably set a timer of, like, how much time was I covering your mug? Um, so on funny. camera, you know, yeah, I got that a lot. Mm, <laughs> funny is a good way to put it. Oh my goodness, no, this is good because uh, I Strange. all of a sudden don't feel so Weird. alone. Um, so back to your podcast, what has been your favorite episode so far? Man, I don't know, it's been a lot of really good ones. You know, the, the one with Ricardo is obviously like one of my yeah. favorites. It's uh, Ricardo Paulosa. Yeah. That's my favorite too. I hadn't heard that one until Nick yeah. suggested oh, yeah. that I listen to that one, and it's, uh, it's he's amazing. a legend. Yeah. He's just like um, sometimes you get into a conversation and it just like goes. Mm-hmm. You know, that's how that was. I mean, he's very much like that kind of guy. Mm-hmm. You know, like he could just you just can talk to him for like hours. Right. So intelligent and well spoken and like actually worldly. So like you know, it's just. So that was great. Um, you know, I loved the the one with Carlos Escanilla. Yep. Uh, I think Carlos, what he does and what we talked about was like very important. So, you know, basically, I wouldn't say all of it, but I'd say like 70, 60% of it maybe is like mental health driven. Yep. And um, I think that that was like probably one of the more important episodes that we've ever done, I think. Um, you know, Famous people are cool. You know, Ed Reed, Brett. Yeah. Um, Where'd you have the most fun? Falco, man. Jeez. Uh, <laughs> wow. That was, and there was like a catharsis in that episode. Too. What, a, what a disaster of an episode. But it was so like, so I, I didn't want to do, I didn't feel like recording that day. And then <laughs> Falco didn't feel like recording that day. So... We had both sent Nick texts like, hey, is it still, you know, like, we're good? Yeah. And then 
you know, like, we're good. Yeah. Are you yeah. hoping he would say no? Yeah. Like, you know, something like got a flat tire or something. And, um, <laughs> nah, I don't wish you to get a flat tire. Saying. Um, and then, you know, we get there and the first thing that I think I, that I said was like, man, I really don't want to fucking do this today. Yeah. Like I had no interest in doing this. And Falco was like, me neither. And then we just started drinking a lot. Yeah. And it was like, I don't know. That was a long episode. Well, and because this was early in COVID. So for yeah. for oh. both of them. Early in the, the reopening of COVID. Right. So for yeah. both of them, the stressors of like all that new stuff yeah. was like that. It was right at the time that it was hitting them both hardest. Well, because it was like a new rule, new, new rule. Right. So what's the movie? In their shows, like new rule. Oh, Bill Maher. Yeah. yeah. New rule. It was like that every day. It was like, hey, new rule. Like, fuck, man. Can't we just, I don't know, live. Like, we're (laughs) suffocating right now. So it was like, yeah, it was like, there was a lot of, like, stress and anxiety and woof. But we had such a good time. Yeah. I have no recollection of anything that we talked about at all. (laughs) All I remember was that we had a good time. So that was great. Obviously, the episodes with Norman were, like, you know, amazing. Um. You know, I think some of the episodes that we've done with my staff have been really cool. You know, uh, some some guys have worked with me for a long time. I think that was great. Like Pasolito Papi. Brit. Brit. Uh, bringing Manny on just recently was really cool. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so, I don't know, there's a lot. I feel like I forget. There's probably a lot of really good ones that I don't remember. Me and Nick have done a lot, but just together. I would skip those. <laughs> <laughs> not we're not worth it. Um, yeah, the I mean I agree with all that. I think the Ricardo one was great. I love the the Norman one. It probably stands out more to other people because a lot of that I'm sure was conversations that you'd had with Norman already. Yeah, you know. But for I think that a lot of people who are not Mike and Norman, that's right. that's up there for them. Mm-hmm. Um, and honestly, I've never been a huge football fan, uh, but I loved the the Brett Romberg one. Man, but Brett is great. Because Brett is such wild, a good man. time, and he is, like, has no hesitation about any of the, the NFL filter. stories. Yeah. Like, even if you're not a football fan, like, it's... You'll, yeah, you'll and be it's also Yeah, and it's just, like, a really interesting look into that world. Like, because I think it's he's retired. He's not really, like, in the business of the NFL anymore. No. And he's married with kids. So he has no problem just, like, yep. letting loose with all of the... Letting rip. All the stories, which mm-hmm. is, is an interesting, very, like, unfiltered kind of thing that you don't get... <clears throat> Too many places. Right. Yeah, Joaquin was great. I mean, all the football guys. Joaquin, yeah, Ed obviously was like amazing. So, but Brett, I mean, he still comes to the restaurant often. And he's like, he's like that all the time. Yeah, it's crazy. Like how he was. It's not like a character. He's just like really, just no filter all yeah. the time. It's pretty amazing. That's awesome. Uh, piggybacking off that, what has been like the most memorable? Thing that has happened through the podcast an experience a conversation well i think uh, from a comical standpoint is when someone brought us uh shrimp empanadas at one o'clock in the morning yeah that was just recently that was when we were recording with martha bueno which was the most recent episode we put out but yeah, that was, one uh, just came out yeah. Yeah, yeah it was uh you know i was talking shit to him just like for fun that he wouldn't, you know, ever actually make me empanadas and bring them, and because like, it's like a supplier who was saying how good they were. Yeah, he's just, he's a he's a liquor guy. Okay. He's super nice guy, and he was, you know, one day he was like, "I make the best, you know, shrimp empanadas." I'm prove it, you know. 
<laughs> and then we were in the middle of recording. He showed up with. And he just showed up in chancletas and a tray of like after midnight with a tray of. Like, wow, this is so good. So I mean, you know, that's that was great, but like memorable moments. Um, you know, the dinner we did with Norman. Mm -hmm. I think that that was cool. Um. <sighs> I mean, I would say memorable for a whole other set of reasons. The other, so we've done two live podcasts, live oh, meaning with an audience. Mm -hmm. We did one that was a much smaller thing. It was like an invite only thing. So we okay. invited the criteria were you needed to have been on the podcast before. Oh, nice. You needed to be in the food industry somehow. And you also needed to be a cigar smoker because we had a cigar sponsor. So it was like we didn't want to take their money and then have nobody smoking after the dinner. Right. Um, and that was cool. That was Mike and Norman. Um, talking for that small audience and we had a, a q a it was like a very intimate tasting menu dinner thing and then we did another one that was a ticketed thing at maxwell brothers in palmetto bay mm -hmm. which is owned by uh john falco uh famous for uh, getting drunk with mike on Pankum podcast <laughs> and also owning lincoln's beard uh and maxwell brothers and strange beast wow. uh so we did this at maxwell brothers and that was a ticketed thing and it was like 60 or 70 people showed up and bought, like forgetting any of the content of the podcast. To me, the memorable thing was like being in a room with 60 or 70 people who had bought tickets to go and eat and listen to this a, shit show of a podcast that we what do. A, what a beautiful disaster. That was a nightmare. In beautiful. the best, it, it was, yeah. It, it, was, was, a, it was a beautiful disaster. Yeah, I gained at least like a handful of gray hairs over that process. So will you do it again? 100%. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, for sure I'll do that again. Yeah, I mean, I'm to. I'm still waiting on a response from Mike's uh, from Mike's assistant uh, for a date so we can like uh, plan the thing. Um, uh, but we'll yeah. we'll figure it out. But we yeah for sure we're yeah. gonna do it again. That sounds so exciting. Yeah. We need to do it again. I need some money. I gotta sell some tickets. Got it. <laughs> <laughs> Gas prices went up. That's we right. Need to, That's right. We need to we make need things to, happen yeah, now. Banco, we have to get creative. Yeah, banco inflation over here. You know? See, yeah, there for real. Is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, ahorita no hay ni pan. It's like that's right. Aire, forget it. Um, what has been one that you were nervous about? I mean, yeah, I mean, we I I asked him about that because I don't really remember one, but yeah. I mean, he made a good point. The one we did with John George, I mean, John George is I don't know one of the most historic chefs I think in the country right now. I mean, he'll probably influence the next hundred years of food, like he's influenced the last like twenty five. So. You know, that was cool. Um, and, and I'll also throw in there, one of the things that kind of blew my mind about that was that his publicist, I'm not saying that John George had listened to Pancom podcast, but his publicist came to us, which to at least to me, that was like, what do you mean, John George? Like you're approaching us about doing this podcast. It's very shocking yeah. that people listen to this podcast. Right. Not this one. I'm sure this one. Oh, well, no. this one yeah, too. This is... I'm shocked no, every have, day. You have multiple lights. Yeah. That, you have logo. But that means you have nothing. A, you have, a you have mugs. Like I feel as so uncomfortable. Like we don't belong. Like literally, oh, no. we. we uh, I don't want you to feel that way. It's a joke. Have I'm more totally, I'm, We're both no, uncomfortable <laughs> all the time. Yeah. Uh, like we basically we record in in essence like under a bridge. Yeah. We the lighting might be better under a bridge. <laughs> It might be. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> a lot of street lights over us, yeah. you know. Uh, <laughs> I hate lights, man. I know. I know. I feel like a oof. Anyways, <laughs> but yeah, I mean it still shocks me that people You should have told me this no. before we started. No, he would never, no, he would never no. tell you. He would no. never tell you production value. Um yeah. Oh, I see. Okay. No, you think that, that stops me from putting lights? I know. Put lights. 
Okay. Yeah, yeah. I've resigned so many times from the podcast just because of these yeah. these lights. But anyways, <laughs> yeah, it's um, it's shocking. But you know, people do, and mm. people seem to like it, so that's cool. You know, we have a Patreon. We're trying to get PD on OnlyFans. Maybe right, bringing some revenue. Yeah. Petey's my dog. Yeah, Petey's uh, my dog. I've heard. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So Petey's gonna get on OnlyFans and yeah, maybe top only, tier. He's a handsome guy. Only flans. Yeah. Then only flans. Yeah. <laughs> that oh, <laughs> funny. Is that a real thing? It should be I've, only flans. It is. It's a Twitter account. They do okay. good. They do good work. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of sexy flans stuff. A lot of sexy yeah. flans on there. Okay, I have to look into that. that sounds Wait, but what amazing. was it? Were you not nervous about any episodes? Just me. Oh no, we never got to me. Uh, nervous. Um, yeah, Maxwell Brothers, come on, let it out. Maxwell <laughs> Brothers? No, I wouldn't know. You made me nervous, like in the middle of it. Yeah, yeah, I'm good at that. We can get into that story, but let's, there was. Let's a, do it. This the story is basically, and this was really like, you know, uh, lack of experience on my part with with this. So we did this live podcast. There was a. If you've been in Maxwell Brothers, it's a long, narrow dining room. So we've got a stage set up on one end of it and then people eating. And there was a group in the back of the room that I guess was just talking. And Mike decides to take initiative. Uh, and I like that you're looking at it now as initiative. No, I, when we even when we had the conversation, because we, we, we had to talk about it. Mike decides, and I, my first mistake was... Uh, I had sort of like a hodgepodge of microphones, and my okay. first mistake was giving Mike a wireless microphone. Big uh, mistake. Huge mistake. Don't give me any kind of freedom. So bad. So he gets <laughs> up from the table, which has three cameras pointed at it. Yeah, much like this. Yeah, but then imagine if Mike now picks up his microphone and does the podcast from that corner of the room. Except okay. he's like 70 feet away. Yeah. So most of that podcast, Mike is way off camera, mm -hmm. and I'm the only one like recording anything. So I can't like leave the mixer and right. go like put a camera on him and whatever. So I try to explain to him like, "Hey, I need you to come back to the table," but he is deciding that he needs to manage the room. That's what I do for a living, you know. <laughs> but because this is happening in real time and we're both mic'd up, like I'm, I'm not gonna, you know, I can't sit and have like a whole production meeting with you in that moment. Yeah. So then I went on a total microphone kamikaze mission because I also had a wireless microphone and because of the audio setup we had, they were both going into the same, <laughs> so uh, into the same uh, jack, you know, on know the mixer. After it's so good. So he doesn't know this, but I'm, I cut off his microphone and he can't talk. And he's like, oh, hey, you cut off my microphone. He cut off. <laughs> but, but he doesn't realize, no, he, he knows that I'm cutting him off. Okay. But he doesn't realize that every time I cut him off, I have to cut myself off. <gasps> Which is the beauty. So basically, the two of us There's are poetic justice in there. So the yeah. two of us have. So I've cut us both off and left our guests to do the podcast oh. by themselves, basically. <laughs> yeah, which is, you know, Peter Santa Maria and John Falco are beautiful humans. Oh yeah, yeah. You couldn't ask for two better uh, people to be forced into that position. Oh, I mean, yeah, that's correct. Yeah, yeah, for sure. That is. So I was nervous in the middle of it. Right. You know, mm -hmm. um, and, and I, if I was nervous in the lead up to it, I think I was more nervous just because I had never done that before. Right. Like, I'm not an event person. Right. Like, I don't I don't throw parties. Like, maybe I have five people in my house, you know, to watch a fight or something. You throw or, a lot of parties. I, I, I tell people they can come over and eat my chips. Nick just did a really big screening oh, of yeah. Velocipaster yeah. at his house. Yeah, I have a... Um, 
you're you're invited for the next one if you'd like. Uh, it's definitely. Thank I'm, you. It's um uh it was the first installment of the shitty cinema series in Nick's living room or backyard is the name of this I love it. series. And I just show awful movies. Yeah. And okay. I'm char- and I'm charging people ten bucks and then it'll all go to whatever charity, you know. Oh so, that that is really cool actually. So we showed Velocipaster, which is aside, that is pretty awesome. So we showed Velocipaster. It's the classic story of a priest who, traumatized by his parents' death, takes a vacation to China and ends up uh, developing the ability to turn into a dinosaur. And this with, is a real movie. Yeah, yeah. And with guidance from oh, his, it exists. Yeah, with guidance from his prostitute friend, ends up in a deadly feud with the Catholic Church and ninjas. Mm-hmm. Uh, ninjas really were. Yeah. Okay, so we have dinosaurs, Catholic Church, prostitution. Yeah. Interesting. It's got everything. There's nothing this movie doesn't have. Uh, okay. The next one will probably be uh, either Rubber, which all of these actually involve a lot of death, which I'm realizing now. But uh, Rubber is a story about a serial killer tire. So it's just like a rubber tire that rolls around and like makes people's heads explode. Or Llamageddon, which is about a llama that comes from outer space and shoots people with its laser eyes. My vote was for Llamageddon. Yeah. I mean, they'll both get shown eventually. So okay. I'll make sure that you're in the loop on all of this. Yes, please. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I would definitely like to come support and learn about this awful cinema because <laughs> this is the whole world I was not privy to. Very interesting. That's what I do. I open I open doors to people. to a whole new world. Now I see why Mike said you're so worldly. Yeah. That's what it is. Right. Yeah. It's all coming together, all yeah. full circle. So for your podcast, <clears throat> what is your process like? I know you, for you guys, it's very like easy and fun. Yeah, process is a generous word for it. <laughs> What's the process? Yeah, do we have a process? <laughs> no. No, I mean, I, I think um, the, the, the difficult thing is um, working around, and this isn't a, a knock on Mike, it's working around Mike's schedule, right? Because most, mm-hmm. most podcasts are not dealing with somebody who has all of the demands that Mike right. has. The fortunate thing is that we can always kind of lean on the fact that so many of your peers keep similar hours. Sure. Yeah. You know, so, um, so the process basically looks like roughly once a month, we kind of come up with a laundry list of people we want to try to book. We usually do the same weeknight at night. Uh, the idea being that by then it's like, okay, everybody's day is over. We're doing the podcast without the stressors of going into another thing. Also, it means that people can drink, yeah. right? So like by the end of the podcast, sometimes everybody involved is hammered, uh, which you couldn't do at noon, right? Like we're not going to do this, you know, and have, you know, five, maybe we will have, you know, five drinks and then go into a shift at work or whatever. Oh, or I, And I'm not going to be productive doing edits at my house or whatever it is. So... So yeah, we'll book be a day off. Yeah, we but yeah. we we basically book like you know a, a month at a time, um, and that's it. Like the, beyond that, there's not much of a process that I could point to. You know? Nope, yeah. none. Well, what you're doing is obviously working because I is enjoy it? listening to the show. Thanks, and yeah, so that, do yeah. many other people. I mean, that's what I hear. It blows my mind every yeah. time. Every time you know, you were um, walking down the street and you were like, "I love your podcast." I'm like, "What?" Yeah. Sure. <laughs> are you talking about? I know yeah. he did does, say does that. Does Lynette have a podcast? Yeah. How are you talking? Lynette have a podcast? No. <laughs> we do. We love it. It's just you know it's uh, and I'm sure you've heard this from other people, but it's it's so easy and fun, but yet you get something valuable out of it. It's well. Let me turn I, it around I like on the you. Combination. What are what are your favorite things? From your podcast? Yeah. Like, is there a favorite episode or a moment? Well, because uh, the... I'm always curious, like, what resonates with people. 
the one that um, that you suggested that I listened to. Oh, with Ricardo Pagliosa? Yeah, that one I've actually listened to now. I'm on my second time oh, around. Wow. Yeah, he's he's pretty awesome. And the way Let's you handle twice? the conversations. Yeah. If there is a podcast worth listening to twice, that's probably it. Yeah. He's got a lot of good one-liners in there. Yeah. Yeah. And we quote it all the time. He's, a lot of references. To he's it. pretty incredible. I quoted yeah. it at least four times yesterday. Did you really? Mm-hmm. In what was like a meeting or something? No, I'd say like four or five times in the last like three days. Yeah. Just the one quote that we always say. Okay. Which is? I was butchered, so you said. So Ricardo was talking about, uh, a lot of that podcast is about Cuba, as you mm-hmm. know. Uh, and it was the, and I, I know because you you posted uh, half of it, half of it on, on Instagram. All right. Uh, and Ricardo said uh, that for people who see themselves as living in a Cuban context, Mm-hmm. Cuba's dead. But if Cuba is in you and you are the context for Cuba, then Cuba is alive. And this was in the context of a conversation about like keeping Cuban culture alive in the right. diaspora and what have you. So right. it just it came to me because like on Saturday I was hanging out with uh some friends of mine and I um met some random human that uh is Cuban from Broward and just talking about how difficult it is to keep the like the culture alive, mm-hmm. you know, and obviously I was not gonna say offended, but you know I said my piece because I was like, well, I mean, it's just kind of like you're being lazy, right? I was gonna say, do you think it's difficult to keep the culture alive? No. Well, yeah. I mean, yeah, I mean, yeah, it's not gonna be easy for us to keep the culture alive, but we have to believe in keeping the culture alive. Right. It's not like a, I don't think that it's like an an easy. There's nothing easy about it when people have been trying to change it for 50 years. Mm-hmm. But, you know, and the fact that we've been here for so long. Yeah. And, you know, like, as generations go, like, I was, you know, first-generation American. So kids and kids and kids, you know, get further removed. Right. I think so, that's the worrisome part, you know, like, yeah. when it comes to passing it on. But... I feel like here in Miami, if it's going to be any place that would be easy, quote unquote, to do it, it would be here. Yeah. Right? I mean, I guess, right? Like, cause, but also like sensationalizing and cheapening our culture. A lot of people oh, do it for money. That's a big concern for sure. You know? Yeah. And I, like, I don't find it as a, it's not a concern for me. It's just like, it's what happens because people are more um, enamored with the idea of making money on the culture than they are of actually like being right by it. And I think that there's, some of both you know like you can you know be using the culture to your advantage for a concept or whatever it may be and also be making money but also like being respectful to her but you also could be deep being disrespectful to it but i think there's you know it's our responsibility to at least keep it out there right you know like they were saying like well there's not like a ventanita in every corner anymore i'm like what are we in what do you mean Maybe not in Broward. You know, here there is. Yeah. But that's not, I mean, the culture is much more than that. But just saying, like, keeping that thing alive, you know. I think there's also an issue of, and it's part of why, you know, aside from being our, our one of our favorite episodes, it's part of why I think that Ricardo one, and the one that we do with Rosa Maria yeah. are, um, I don't know. I, well, sorry to cut you off. Yeah. The, the mo- we're talking about moments like Rosa Maria just walked in in the middle of the Norman dinner. Right? Oh, sure. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And just like, you know did her whole thing yeah you know and that was amazing and that was not planned you know but it was at the peak of like it was like maybe yeah like a week after the protest Mm -hmm. yeah and it was like you know 
needed to be said and things were said. So I think that, that was cool too. So I was going to say, I mean, I, I think that even like that moment and the episode we did with her and the episode we did with Ricardo, um, and even some of the stuff that we did on our own, like as unqualified as we might be, just we did what we could, you know, uh, spreading awareness with our For audience sure. of the protest thing, which, you know, I think there's a lot of assumptions about that people make about, oh, we're in Miami and so everybody knows these things, but they, they don't, you know, and we mm -hmm. would get that feedback that, oh, you know, I, I hadn't really engaged with anybody, you know, about these protests uh, that, that began in July 11th in, in Cuba. Um, I think that some of those things are the things that, aside from maybe being some of our favorite stuff, are the things that we're proudest of. Well, it, it's also the, I know you're talking about the same episode I'm thinking about when, when we just talked about that. In remember? my backyard. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and it was basically talking about like why this isn't covered a different way. Sure. Mm -hmm. By the media and why it's important for someone to talk about it because no one talks about it because everyone's just scared of, you know, what the repercussion I guess would be is what we said. Yeah. So, I mean, the, yeah, that on that topic, we were talking about just media coverage of the protests and the way that the politics of journalism in Cuba work, right? Where like, if you're a correspondent in Cuba, you want to be there when the big story breaks, which of course would be any kind of like regime change right. or for some people, July 11th came close enough that they like piped up a bit. But, um, but yeah, I mean, I, I think back to what we were saying earlier, um, about the culture and keeping it alive and, and all that, I, I think it's also the, the farther we get removed from, from Cuba, mm -hmm. right? And whether that's a generational thing or a distance thing, because I think that people sometimes, you know, experience something similar, even if you were born in Cuba, but you live, you know, in a part of the country where you're farther removed from it. Right. To me, I think it's, um, I, I think that what the podcast helps to do when we're able to touch on that is to uh, help address some of what I think is the problem of people not thinking deeply enough about Cuba and what their connection to it is. And I think if your connection to Cuba, and this could be said about any culture, any diaspora, right? But right. Um, but that's the experience that we have is is the Cuban one. If if you stop at you know uh, a few dichos and coladas and yeah. espumita and croquetas and you know. Yeah, and mm -hmm. some like, you know, uh, uh, some corny t-shirts or whatever. And like, that's where your connection to it stops. And you don't think more deeply about it than that. Uh, right. Uh, then, then yeah, that's, time will kill that, mm -hmm. yeah. right? Time and, and distance and, and, and fatigue, right? Like, I, I, this is a perfect example. All these protests that happen, like, I've, I've personally been kind of disappointed. Um, not in anybody in particular, but, and I think part of it is that, you know, uh, very well-intentioned people um, sort of only go as far as, okay, we've just got to mobilize people to get onto the street and to, you know, chant and march and, and what have you. But if you don't give them something deeper to touch yeah. and feel and hold and do uh, to get some fulfillment out of it, then yeah, yeah anybody, anybody, and me included, I, I happen to have been in positions, you know, before we turn, the, and we can talk about it if you want, but before we turn the mics on, I was talking about some of the activism that I was doing. Mm -hmm. That's part of why I'm still engaged all these years later, because I, I happen to have been in positions and known people right. that I had avenues to connect with it in a very deep sort of way and to engage with the issue uh, much more deeply. But if it was just that every so often I was supposed to go out and chant in the street, like, yeah, I'd get tired of that. And if I didn't yeah. see the results. Well, because there's no result from that, right? Right. Yeah. Or, or if there are, you don't see them. Right. I think it's like what we talked about in the, in the mini-sode that we're going to mm -hmm. 
released very soon is like, you know, when there needs to be some kind of change. But the change needs to be planned and it needs to be more thoughtful, you know, because banging pots and pans and, you know, hitting the streets and going to Versailles and having coffee and saying that we're angry has not worked. And it's been a lot of years. Right. We need to approach this thing differently. And it's cool. Like, I, like, I love to see... I mean, I don't love to see the fact that people are angry, but I like to see that people mobilize and stuff. There's a place for it. Right. Right. I think we just need to think about this differently. Like, there's a reason why I wear this T-shirt everywhere I go. There's a reason why I do what I do. There's a reason why Nick does what he does. You know, thoughtful change um, and just, like, slow and steady pressure. People will feel that eventually. And there's a reason why I don't work with certain brands. There's things, you know. Mm -hmm. And even if it's just a small thing, that small thing could balloon into something huge, right? And, you know, people ask me all the time, like, you know, what's your goal? Like, I don't know what my goal is. My goal is to open up a, a great restaurant to, you know, nurture a great staff, you know, build a company for people like me. But after that, because, you know, I think I'm blessed that we, we have that and we have the makings of more. After that, the goals I have to change, you have to think like bigger. And yeah. for me, a bigger thing is like, how can I impact, you know, keeping our culture alive and making a difference long term? So I don't even know how, how did we get here? This is very punk. No, we're ta- yeah, it yeah, doesn't yeah. matter how we no, got here. We're here now. Yeah. I was, I was just talking about, you know, people yeah. thinking about their connection to Cuba and, and its significance oh, yeah. more on a, on a deeper level, right? you know, right. Yeah. So, and, and it goes back to, you know, mm-hmm. what are our favorite things? I think aside from being our favorite, I think some of the stuff that we've done on that subject is, is among the things that we're proudest of yeah um sure so yeah yeah we got a lot of when we did that thing um that was one of our most viewed things yeah on social media but again it just goes to show that there's no media that really talks about it right they'd rather talk about like there's cat stuck in a tree or yeah. some dumb shit like that like they don't want to talk about the stuff that actually like impacts humans because i mean i'm sure they do but like this one specifically mm-hmm. because it doesn't really impact them right now Right. But, you know, it's impacted us for a long time. What How is it that Vicky keep... said? The children of the lost, right? What's that? That's what Vicky said, right? We're the children of the lost. I thought you said that. No, no. No, they said <laughs> that. That was her thing? Yeah, yeah. They, uh, Vicky and Vanessa, that's what they said. I, yeah. I just ran with it. Okay. I've kept saying it. But, Got it. You right. know, like they, and they'll, they're okay with us being lost. Oh, for sure. It's people convenient. Are okay, people are okay with us being lost because sooner or later we're just going to, you know, maybe our kids, kids, kid will be like, I don't even know what a cortadito is. I'm just going to get this venti latte right. from shitty Starbucks coffee, and I'm going to yeah. be good. I think, the, uh, again, not to, like, beat over the the Ricardo episode, but one of the things that he said there I think resonated with me and I think was an idea that if more people were conscious of it, mm-hmm. they would sort of – it would draw them into connecting with this thing on a deeper level. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm paraphrasing, but the way that he put it was roughly that – uh, the experience of or the connection to Cuba gives people a, a relevance yeah. that very few people um, ever get to experience, right? right? Whether it was that you were born there or you were shaped by the experience of people who left or, or whatever, um, you know, more than any flag waving or any, you know, uh, coffee stirring or whatever, there's this connection to the issue of like what happens when your freedoms are taken what happens Mm when uh when something modern in every sense right like in the 
in the technological sense, in the infrastructural sense, in the freedom and, and recognition of rights sense, gets flung back into the Middle Ages. Right. To, to know what that is and to bring that into your interactions with the world and with other people and with your business and with your colleagues and with your family is, is to bring something to those interactions that, uh, that other people maybe don't because they're not conscious of it. Um, and I think that if more people, uh, if more Cubans and Cuban Americans understood how fulfilling it can be mm. to take that with you into those things, it doesn't mean you have to be an expert or you have to like go get yourself a PhD or what. I don't have one. Like, I barely <laughs> got, I barely got my bachelor's. Um, but you know, to, to engage with the world that way and have that be something yeah. that's sort of built into how you do things and how you want to make yourself and the situations around yourself better, um, you know, is, and it informs the way you do everything and the way that I do everything. And I'm sure the way that you do everything, like there's, I don't think it's a coincidence, right? That people who give this much of a shit about Cuba right. are like putting microphones in people's faces or like, you know, uh, advancing the culture of Cuban food. It's because somewhere, even if you weren't thinking about it this way, even if it's not like written in your notes when you were planning Miami Lit, mm -hmm. there's something about talking and being public and putting your name and your face yeah. on opinions and engaging with people and engaging with ideas in a way that you couldn't have if you were still in Cuba. No, mm -hmm. for sure. And, yeah. and even that, right? Even that is part of what I'm talking about, of like right. moving it beyond uh, some of those like very superficial things. How do you keep that spark going when it comes to like, you know, focusing on Cuba in that way, in such a deep, meaningful way? Because it feels like every, you know, every time like we, we get a step closer, we take two back. And yeah. it's so discouraging. I know for me, sometimes I'm like, okay, I, I need a break. I can't, the, I can't take any more disappointment. I mean, but, that's how, but that's how they, that's how they win. It is. That's how they win. I mean, it's a long game, right? I yeah. mean, their thing is a long game. They just suffocate you into not, to just giving up. You know, for me, like the. I think the motivation always has been, and this is with my food too, like, you know, my grandparents sacrificed a ton, a ton. So I think that there should be someone in my family that sacrifices a ton for more, you know, right. and um, I feel like, you know, that's kind of the road that I've taken and it, it's, it's an everyday thing. It's, um, there's days that, I mean, we talk about this all the time, like there's, there's days that it's like exhausting, you know, but if you feel like your life has that purpose, then you just do it. Like, I think that their way of doing it is just by like quieting, like hushing the crowd, right? Mm -hmm. You know, keeping them quiet. And they have ways of doing that in that country. They don't have the. They don't have ways of doing that here, which is why we have, we have power here. You know, we have uh, an ability that they don't. Which I would be damned if my grandparents gave up everything that they had for me to have the ability that I have to use my mouth. Yeah. And I use it a lot, <laughs> you know, to not, to not take advantage of that mm -hmm. or to, you know, give me the opportunity to be creative, to be free. Yeah. Creativity is freedom, you know, for sure. um, using your voice is obviously freedom. And that's why like, I could disagree with 99% of what you're saying, but you're free to say it, so say whatever the fuck you want. I That's don't how care. I feel. Yeah. You know, like, I, I don't care. I don't, like, there's there's a bunch of dummies I pass in the street every day talking all kinds of craziness, and I'm just like, cool, man, you do you. Like, 
That's all I can tell you is you live your life. Yeah. You want to carry a big sign that says something really ridiculous and dumb? You go ahead and do that. <laughs> what does the kid say now? You do you, boo. Yeah. <laughs> Just do it. That's what they say. <laughs> yeah. I, I think there's also um, when you engage with it more deeply and when you're more, uh, call it aware or connected to the issue, I think you also see details that um, <clears throat> that make it possible to to measure the impact of some of what you're doing, right? Like yeah. it's, it's impossible to, again, if your engagement is, you know, every so often when there's a major story in Cuba, I go to Isaias and I bang pots and pans. Again, there, there can be value for that. Like there right. is, there, there is value. There's, it's not that that shouldn't happen, but until you go a little deeper, if that's where it stops and your whole thing is like, you know, singing and Cuba's about to be free and then it's not free. Of course, that's very disappointing. Yeah. But if you take a few steps deeper, Right. And now, you know, the name of, say, a dissident mm -hmm. and you participate in some kind of a campaign that maybe it's that the campaign puts pressure to get them yeah. released a month earlier from prison. Or uh, you take another you take a step deeper and you participate in a good example. And not to point to ourselves, a lot of people did this. And I think that it was um, the effort to pay for Regadgas to keep Cuban cell phones mm -hmm. connected on the island. I think that part of why that caught on so much, aside from the fact that it was a point of consensus among so many Cuban Americans, like nobody disagreed that there was value there. Whereas like, you know, some political question of like opening relations or, right. or sanctions or whatever, like those were more controversial, but this of like, should Cuban cell phones work or not work? There was no right. disagreement. It's a right? no brainer. But it was also that it had a number attached to it, right? That you could yeah. wrap your head around that you can't with some of these other more superficial things right so okay we've we've collected a thousand dollars that's so many cuban cell phones and it gives you this sense of like oh, okay I, I you know even if it's just giving money like okay it took me x number of hours to to earn that money and it impacted x number of cubans that is fuel and i think that what we lose sight of is that you know uh and maybe because we are uh not unique because there are other you know call them ethnic or national groups uh, that experiences too, but the the Cuban thing is defined by this this political cause. Yeah, right? I mean, like well, all of us. It's safe to say we're not sitting here because we wanted to. Right. We were like, our families. Well, we never had, had the to freedom to want to do it. Exactly. We, but they, had, my, you know, our people yeah. had to do it. But yeah. in a, in a way that isn't necessarily true for other people. I mean, think about it. We've been talking about being Cuban this whole time, and it's all been about like doing things for Cuba. Mm -hmm. There is a there's a, a discernible project. And what I think we lose sight of sometimes is that the rules of a project don't change. You don't approach this podcast. You don't approach your business. I don't approach, you know, datemag.com in a way that I never concern myself with measurable results, you know, or with small victories. It's not, right. it's not like you don't go into opening a restaurant and say like, okay, yeah, I'm going to do this restaurant. And if tomorrow I don't have, you know, a Michelin star uh you know and a million dollars in my bank account then it's been a failure like no there are all these small Oy. steps Oy. yeah there there there's there's intermediate steps that you mm -hmm. take to get there uh and and i don't think that we treat it that way very often either right like in, yeah. in we in this very broad sense like it's a lot of like cuba's free or bust like that's great as an end goal but if we can't identify the intermediate steps then people will burn out mm -hmm. the way they do in anything else in your business if you don't give people intermediate steps point people will burn out. And I think that we sometimes delude ourselves into like the idea that it's, you know, free Cuba or bust 
that's fine as an end goal, but you got to have mile markers. Yeah. So that the people who are on the bus with you, like, don't jump off because, like, when right. are we going to get there? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. This thing has no destination. Um, right. Gonna jump ship. Right. Yeah. It's a it's a tough one. It's a tough one, but luckily people like you, you mentioned Vicky and Vanessa mm-hmm. and you, so many others, keep keep that going because it's it's difficult. It's a it's a hard thing to take on. Uh, something that's been going on for years and years and years, and it's degraded. Yeah. The culture and the society down to nothing almost. There's such a good example though of of um how engaging in the issue deeply comes with some of the fulfillment that I'm talking about, right? Mm -hmm. Like Mm -hmm. they they didn't necessarily set out, maybe they did, um, but they didn't necessarily set out to do some of the things that they're doing because, oh, we want to give ourselves a mile. But by virtue of, say, doing Amparo, right? Once you're doing Amparo, because you went that deep, now there's a number of tickets. And now you're there and you're seeing who was exposed to a story and you see people who had never heard this or that and you see the change in them in a way that until you go that deep, you don't see and you don't get that fulfillment. And that for them, I'm sure is, I mean, I know them well, that is fuel for them. For sure, right? yeah. Like that. that's what keeps you going. Yeah. So to answer your question, I think that's what it is. Like I think you have to dive deep to get that fuel. Because really no, connect. Yeah, because nobody's yeah. paying you to be Cuban, right? So your fuel is not going to be money. You know, no. your fuel is not going to be, you know, fame. Because what are you going to be, famous on Mega or something, right? Like... <laughs> You, the fuel is that fulfillment that you have to be able to measure the way that you would with any other project. Yeah, I mean, I think there's a lot of value. I mean, and the world doesn't really take value in that sense much anymore, which is like feeling fulfilled. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I've never once taken a job for money because I want to find something that fulfills me or challenges me so that one day it can fulfill me. Yeah, You know, I think that, the Cuba stuff, it's more of like we've, uh, I think we've pushed it as much as we have and we will continue because it's something that I feel like fulfills us as like gives us purpose long term. You know, it's me a day I'm going to stop cooking. Yeah. Right? And it's also having measurable things tells you what you're doing wrong and what you can fix. It makes you less aimless. Like if you, you can see when something has failed or if you're doing a play and nobody shows up or people leave you, you know, bad feedback or nobody subscribes to your thing. Right. It doesn't mean that you're doing it wrong. Like maybe you're so committed to the concept and you should stick with it. But there's a feedback loop there that you don't get. That right. that also fuels something. It gives you a sense of uh, you don't feel helpless. And when you're exactly. that when you're that deep and you have some kind of a project that you're a part of, then you have that. Yeah. It's that makes a lot of sense. And you know, we're lucky that people like you keep that torch going. No, you do. Because, well, I mean, little by little, right? I'm trying <laughs> to do my part. I, I approach it from a different a standpoint because, I, like I told you before, I was born there. So my relationship with it is a little bit yeah. uh, fragile, traumatized, sure. um, all those big words. So I sometimes I have to step back just sure. for personal reasons. Yeah, yeah. Um, but then, you know, it's it's time to jump back in because it's, it's a big... It's a big thing. Yeah. That, yeah. Although, like you mentioned, your grandparents, like all our family suffered so much. Mm-hmm. It's like, when when is it going to end? When is our day coming? And it's yep. hopefully we're closer than than before. Um, To bring it back to the podcast a little bit. Because <laughs> that got the deep. Podcast. <laughs> got, that got deep real fast. Um, um, any advice 
for people that are considering starting their own podcast? Do you want to take that one or I mean advice? Uh, Words of wisdom. Wisdom. Um, I don't know. Like if you, I looked at this in a certain way. I'm sure we both looked at this very differently, but I looked at this as for a certain thing. Like I didn't, again, like I said before, I don't really do things. I don't take jobs for money. Right. I wanted to, for me, the idea of Pangong podcast day one, and it's morphed some, um, I think even from back from like tea time when we're doing tea time Mm -hmm. with Mike and Mike was an opportunity to highlight humans in the industry um, that I feel like the media does a poor job highlighting Mm -hmm. because I don't feel like there's very many people who care about food in the city, at least that write about food. Very few. So if I had an opportunity to talk about someone and get more in depth than, you know, like three paragraphs and talk for a couple hours and it showcases that person's like thing, then I feel like I was doing good for the world and for my industry and for my community. Right. Um, so that being said, like I didn't get into this to be like, well, we're going to make a ton of money on ads and we're going to, uh, we're going to get sponsored by like, um, Krispy Kreme, which would be great if they ever, I mean, I would love that. Um, but you know, I think that that's the thing, you know, do it because you really want to do it and you have something to say and like you love it, but don't do it because some kind of ulterior motive, because just like anything that's media driven and Nick can talk on this much more than I can. I mean, it's tough to make a book. Yeah. You know, so, um, I feel fortunate that we have sponsors. I feel fortunate that there's people that actually listen to the stuff that we, we do. Um, I never expected that. And I never expected for, I mean, I know Nick did, but I, I never expected for there to be like people who wanted to pay for ads and do things like that. I was like, you know, we're just going to talk about food and maybe we'll bring on people that like food and people that love Miami and people that love the industry and people that just, I don't know, want to talk about something roundabout way. Um, and then we can highlight them and what they do in their story. If we did that, then that's great. Uh, I think that that like it's a contribution to the world, in my mind. Definitely. Hopefully. Now, my advice is to go into it with like a good, like very honest and open thought process like that. And you know, if it knocks and you make money, that's cool. Um, it's a lot of work, a hundred percent. Like our podcast would does not exist without Nick for sure. Because it's like, I just talk pretty much, right? I hope you put shit away sometimes. (laughs) Like cut things out? No. No, I put the equipment away. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's pretty much it. Um, But, you know, like, it's it's tough. It's a lot of work. It takes time. And I think, you know, even for, and he, I'm sure he would agree, like in the two years that we've been doing this, right? Mm -hmm. Two years. There's been days like, fuck, I don't want to do this today. Yeah. You know, but consistency is key also. Being consistent is huge. Um, You know, staying true to like your model, I think, is huge. And our model is chaos, so which is fine. It's perfect. (laughs) Easy to stay consistent with. Yeah, it's very easy for me to stay consistent with. I think it's controlled chaos, but it's fine. Um, That's life, though. Sure. Right? Yeah. Sure. Um, 
you know, so I think it's like consistency is key. Staying true to your model is key. Um, you know, and like going into it for the right reasons. You know, I don't know. There's there's like a niche for everything. Nick, Nick watches Mukbang. So, I mean, like I said, there's... I don't there's watch something, that much Mukbang. There's something for everybody. Yeah. You know, right. if you want to talk about Precious Moments dolls, you do that. If you want to talk about food, you do that. If you want to talk about croquetas, you do that. I don't right. know. It is what it is. Yeah, I mean, I think... Um... You know, for a little bit of context, the the idea with datemag.com was always to do something that was very much from here, but not for here, mm. right? So we've never set out to be a local podcast. Um, we want to be a podcast that's from Miami, but that people anywhere can come across uh, and and take something from. And the same goes for everything else that lives on on the website. Um, and that is is for me the the vision that I've been committed to all of this time. Uh, I, I transitioned to doing this full time just before the world turned upside down. So we've had like a rougher slog of it. And now is when we're kind of coming out of some of that. Um, as far as, as advice, you know, I, I talk to a lot of people who, uh, who come and ask me about the podcasting thing. Mm -hmm. I might tell them they should come and talk to you because this setup is a lot, uh, slicker, oh, no, no, no. a lot slicker than, um, uh, than what we're dealing with. I'll but, take that as a compliment. Thank no, that's you. exactly what it is. <laughs> um, but I, I think that the, the best advice that I could give anybody is, is, you know, partly what Mike said of like commit to the concept. Because yeah. I think the minute that you try to adjust to something that you haven't bought into completely because you think other people might be into it, That's you're, you're not going to be doing it well enough for them to be. If your audience is more into the idea than you are, yeah. it's not going to be compelling to them. And then the other thing is, you know. Mm, that's a good, that was well said, sir. And not, not letting the perfect be the enemy of the, forget the good, Ugh, just not letting the perfect be the enemy of yeah. it existing. And this is, uh, to me, I forget who I was talking about this with recently, but, you know, um, I, I've, even from when I was a little kid, like whether it was a uh, high school newspaper or earlier than that, uh, um, I don't know if I've ever told you this, but when I was in like elementary school, I used to uh, either go to or watch heat games. And then I would like do a write up on the game as if the Herald wasn't doing one the next like a day. Review. And like I would convince Never told my that. idiot classmates to buy them for like a quarter. Uh, Look at you, yeah. entrepreneur. So, but my, but I mean, more so than the entrepreneur thing, because I'm not an, uh, I mean, I, I guess technically I am, but I'm an awful business person. Uh, awful. But the, the thing that I've always <laughs> done, even since I was a little kid, and so now I have the benefit of being very comfortable with this is putting my name on my work and having it out there in public for everyone to see. And I think that's something that Mike and I relate to yeah. relate with each other on too, is that, you know, he's very much the face of his company mm -hmm. and every plate that goes out, you know, effectively has his name on it. Right. And I think that if you let the pressure of that and concern over what the feedback is going to be, get to you too much, yeah. then you don't, you never get to the point where it's out there and you yeah. can adjust and grow in public. But if you're going to do a podcast, you can't podcast privately. Yeah. Right. Like you have to be comfortable with the idea that you're that people are gonna see the best and the worst of your work, or that they'll think that what you think is your best, they think is your worst, or whatever. Mm -hmm. And you just have to get comfortable with like your name and your face and your ideas being out there for people to see. Um, and that can mean any number of things, right? Like right. maybe people have thoughts about how you do an interview. Some people might love it. Some people might not. Some people think it's fun. Some people, and it's the same with us. My mom hates this podcast. Yeah. Our podcast. I'm sure she'd yeah. like yours. No. 
She hates this podcast. Why? podcast. She doesn't like that we curse on the podcast. Oh, I see. Okay. She's also not much of a podcast person, but like even the I'll listen to it because it's my son's podcast. Like she does not. Same. My mom's same. Yeah. My dad's a little more into it. It's the same podcast. They're in the same household, you know, so mm. but you've got to get comfortable with like that. Not everybody's going to be into it. That's a really doing. good point because the path to perfection can be hindering, you know? Right. right. Well, I mean, it could be paralyzing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And it's also not a novel, right? Like for this to work, you have to do it on a very regular basis. For so sure. you, nobody can do the perfect podcast every week. Mm. In the same way that like if you're a newspaper journalist, right? Yeah. Like you're not going to write, you know, you're not going to win a Pulitzer every 48 hours. Like you just keep <laughs> doing it. Point. You keep doing it and doing it and doing it and doing it until, you know, and every once in a while you hit on something. You know, right. not every episode we've done is gold. What? <laughs> You know, we're like, and, and, and some of our worst stuff, the, the benefit part of why I think we are still doing this after so much time is that I, I think that we almost always have fun with it. Sure. Some of the ones that we have the most fun with are our worst ones. For sure. I think like I personally, I have a hard time listening to the, to the episode we did with Burger Beast. Oh man. It goes on forever. It's forever. not Seth's fault. I love Seth. Uh, it's, what? it's, it's our fault. It's definitely his fault. It's sure, fine. It's all Seth's fault. It's all. I mean, he's not here. Let's blame him. him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's all I mean, Seth's fault. I blame him to his face. You, but, but, you talk, but ask him one question, he goes six different ways. That's true. But we gotta, you know, gotta reel him in. But or, or reel him in. But uh, but my my point is that like you know, I guess that would be my third bit of advice, yeah. is that make sure that it's something that you enjoy doing because mm -hmm. you're not. I mean, maybe you will, but you're probably not gonna find other fulfillment from it immediately. Right. For sure. Right. Yeah. So no, immediately no. <laughs> uh, it's definitely gonna take a while right like how long did it take for you guys to feel like okay finally this is a real thing it's its own entity you start to see some sort of um what you would feel would be returned i don't mean that monetarily but like in fulfillment or in yeah. whatever that happened pretty other quickly. way oh fulfillment wise this is day one yeah. yeah well i mean like our first podcast was like it knocked it was like a big topic podcast oh yeah yeah, yeah. you know um a local chef got called out for wearing like proud boy stuff and it was like a thing so we talked about it and that you know that was at a time that it needed to be talked about so and then the first podcast with a guest was was with one of my very good friends and uh now chef within my company chris Hughesby. you know like the fulfillment was fast yeah that's awesome i, I think the other stuff like do people listen like i don't know i don't look at metrics and stuff uh, I think on that side it was it was like relatively quick, and that's because of Mike, um, because people already cared about you, like they were oh. interested because they knew Ariette <laughs> because they no because they cared about you and your work and they were interested in what you had to say. You were already somebody who like whenever Mike had things to say, at least about the restaurant business, right? Uh, they were already interested because he's always been outspoken. He just al hasn't always had some idiot showing up to his restaurant every week with microphones. So when that idiot showed up, you know, with microphones and now a light that he loves. Um, the light. Yeah. <laughs> now, now that that's happening, right, it's, um, but I think the fact that we had this like group of people that already knew him and already cared and, were, and knew it would be interested helped to kind of jumpstart the thing. Yeah. And also, I mean, if we're, if we want to talk about like the business of it, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, Mike brings to the thing a credibility in some sectors that, uh, 
that matters there, right? Like whether it's people who supply your restaurants or people who know your food or whatever, um, you know, there, it, it's not a coincidence that like we were able to work with, when we did that private dinner with, um, uh, with Norman for an audience of like 15 people that, you know, for Bancom Podcast, we're dealing with Covassier, mm -hmm. uh, San Pellegrino, D'Artagnan, Aganor Salif Cigars. Like, to be working with those right. four brands right out of the gate. That's so exciting. For a, an audience of 15 people, you know, um, I don't think it would have happened if it was just, like, me doing a podcast. I think it's because Mike is involved that um, that people give a yeah. shit. So, and similarly, like, I, I brought relationships from seven right. years in the cigar industry that those people knew my work product, right? So those people yeah. trust the content, even if they haven't heard the podcast. And right. there's a reason why some of those people have gotten involved on as, as sponsors or, you know, um, whether it's buying ads or sponsoring events or whatever. Um, so I would say, I mean, I guess I'm just piling on advice, but I would also say like, if you are not already podcasting, you're doing something else and you should mm -hmm. think about whether it's the talent that you employ in doing what you do now or the relationships, like how can you bring that in in right. a way that doesn't mess with the concept? Exactly. Like how can you bring that into what you're doing? Yeah, transition um, it. Right, there's no reason to start from zero. Like if, unless you're an infant, you are not at zero. There is something that right. you bring to the table. That's true. You know. Is there a topic that you will, like that's a big no-no for you? Like you don't want to go there? Or for you... me, no, but I mean, maybe for you. Um. I mean, I would, I guess that there's like a, a couple and really the only time that I feel like topics, I don't want to talk about them because it's not that I don't want to talk about them, but anything I feel like could affect my, my business, mm -hmm. I, I won't talk about, you know, and it, and it's just simply because, um, you know, I'm responsible for a lot of people, Of course, you know, like it's not, um, it's a Mike Beltran show. It's, you know, the area hospitality group. So, you know, I have 150 employees and my job every week is to keep them, you know, employed. Yeah. So I don't think that, I think it's, it really all just depends, but I don't think that there's anything specific. There's things that I don't want to talk about because I feel like it's not worth it. And I feel like, especially like in certain dynamics of like who you're talking to and what you're talking about, like it, it benefits them more than it benefits you. Mm. And it's like, you know, like if you're sitting there talking to like, David Chang and um, Joe Rogan about like a really big topic, like cool. Cause like now everyone's got something to lose. Right. You know? And I think that that's very important. You know, everyone's gotta be on the same playing field in order to say like, okay, cool. We're all willing to take this jump together. Fuck it. Let's just do it. So. Right. To transition to date mag. So the umbrella, mm -hmm. right? If yep. I understand it correctly, mm -hmm. that's home to Pancom podcast. Um, how, how was that born? So I you touched on that a little bit at the beginning. Yeah. Yeah. So I created that website in 2016, uh, just as a, again, like as a home for things that didn't really fit in my day job at Cigar Snub. And, uh, the first thing that I put there was really the thing that drove me most to like, okay, I have to transition to podcasts. Uh, it was a, a, a long feature story about this guy named Frank Romanowski, who, uh, do you live around here or were you working I, around here before in this area? Well, yeah, I, I lived in the Gables. Okay, yeah. so you might have even seen him around. He was this homeless guy 
who was selling flags on the street. So he would a lot of times be like at the at the overpass on Bird and the Palmetto. I would see him closer to my house in Kendall. Like he'd be all over the place. And he was always selling flags on the street. And I passed him a number of times, uh, especially like around lunchtime that I would mm-hmm. be with coworkers and we'd be going to and from a restaurant. And then finally, like at the time that I was starting to think about this website, I see him and his flags closer to my house. So I pull over and I get off and I like talk to him. And uh, I ended up writing a story about a day that I spent with him as he did his whole flag thing. And I, it, it's one of the things even that I'm, that I'm proudest of that's been on that website. It also took forever to do, right? Because yeah. I wasn't going to, what I wasn't doing was just like, here's a conversation with Frank. It was, I spoke, I, I treated it like if, you know, some magazine was paying me, yeah. right? And I, I went to multiple sources and I did the whole thing, you know? Um, like I, my journalism is my background from college. So I also like, it's difficult for me to do things halfway. Disengage. Yeah, right. Yeah. Um, so uh, that was the first thing that went there. And then I, I've had other um joe cardona wrote a story i don't know if you know him he's the the documentarian who made celia the queen mm-hmm. uh miami bohem a bunch of other stuff um and he wrote a piece about uh about disco and dance music and its history in miami and um so eventually i just sort of transitioned to okay i'm gonna do podcasting because it was just the easiest way to go from uh, not to say that it's easy but to to go from recording an interview and then right. by tomorrow or the day after this can be out in the world yeah it's a much you know, simpler process. Exactly. For sure. and, when, and when you're just one person, you know, that not even necessarily that simple, but the workflow makes it so that you run less risk of going a month without anything and you going up on the site. Right. So I transitioned to that. And then, uh, and like I said, I ended up hooking up with Mike and, and Pancom Podcast kind of became the cornerstone of the website. Then we've tacked on uh, another podcast called Step Into the Sandbox. Mm hmm which is hosted by David Bidhano, um from Beyond the Agency, and that's all conversations with creatives, and we're doing a third podcast that might get a big kick out of just the idea of its existence. The Liberated Podcast. The Liberated Podcast. With which your is, host, Nicholas Jimenez. Right. Coming this spring. Oh, I'm going to use that. So I'm, you'll I'm gonna, be hosting it? Yeah, so, so actually, that's exciting. before Pancom Podcast. the intro. Yeah. I just want to do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, good. <laughs> before Pancom Podcast, there was actually the Dade Podcast, and I kind of let that die when we did Pancom Podcast, because okay. it, no, it no longer made sense. To have datemag.com, the date podcast, and then this thing. In my mind, I see. Yeah. in my mind, there was no it was no longer like there's one podcast for the whole thing. Right. So uh that's already out there in the world. And there's like maybe 10 interviews that I did that were a part of that podcast. And so uh I'm sort of repackaging, rebranding it to be narrower in in scope topically. It'll all be conversations about liberty. Um so That's... in the political sense and in, in very loosely defined, okay. I'm not, I'm, I've never been shy about saying like, I'm always the most libertarian person in the room. Right. Uh, and so, you know, case in point, the first one that I recorded was with Martha Bueno mm-hmm. and, and we get into those topics. You know, um, but that's not the one that just came out. No, that was Bancom podcast. So it's a, so okay. yeah, her Got as it. a guest on the liberated podcast is much more narrowly about the topic of, of liberty. Uh, the tagline that it will have when it comes out, because I'll I'll probably be releasing it later this month, and that'll be the first episode out, is uh, is that it's conversations about how we understand, uh, secure and exercise freedoms, and that can be any number of things, right? Like we could like, maybe you'll be a guest, right? And there's a freedom to what you're doing here, yeah. right? Of like striking out on your own, and it, it's that as much yeah. as it is the political philosophical, right? Freedom in every sense of the word, right? Right. That's ex- okay. I'm looking forward to that. Cool. That's exciting. 
Very, very cool. So uh, let's turn a little bit to Miami culture. Cool. Um, as well, I, I always assume people feel the same way I do, but you guys tell me. So growing up here, it was always that, um, you know, especially when you travel somewhere, oh, you're from Miami and you get like the side look, like, why would, you know, what would you live there for? <laughs> it's just flip flops and like South Beach. Um, but cool. we know, was that your experience? Cool story, bro. Did you get flip flops in South Beach? I mean, I lived in Virginia. They didn't, I mean, they thought, um, they thought you were cool. Did they think I was cool? No, the fact that you came from Miami. Um, some people must have. Maybe some. I mean, more. It was just like uh, I experienced a good amount of racism in Virginia. So, like, I wouldn't jump and say that. Yeah, to your face, they thought you were cool, but when you turn around, like, not so much. Um, yeah, I mean, I guess I got some of that. You know, like people don't really know that Miami's not South Beach, and the uh, Miami Dolphins don't even really play in Miami. They play in Davie. You know, stuff like that. So. <laughs> Um, yeah, I mean, sure. They just don't know. Like, Miami right. is just what the, what you see on TV, which is yeah. like palm trees, bikinis, exactly. cocaine, Al Pacino. And there's just so much more. Cocaine, right. Fly, pelican, fly. Like, <laughs> it's just like, you know, my grandparents, they, they used to make clothing and sell cocaine. <laughs> Thanks. Did you, did y'all get over here by like selling drugs? <laughs> No. <laughs> so you don't but get you, here by selling drugs. You sell drugs once you're here. Right. <laughs> so y'all didn't run none That's of how them. how that works. Y'all didn't run none of them boats with all them speed boats with all yeah. the cocaine? <laughs> no, no, we didn't. Really? So how'd y'all get here? We just came. Yeah, we just came. So, you know, yeah, I got some of that, but it was like different context. It's Those movies, again, sensationalizing like the bad parts of culture. Right. It's almost like. I love it when it's like, uh, again, middle America, and they're just like, yeah, you you know, Cubans, they do a lot of cocaine. I'm like, really? Have you been to the the Bible Belt and see how many drugs happen there? Is it just us down south? Is that mm -hmm. right? That's cool. It's we didn't right. even know what that was yeah. until we got here. What are you talking about? Sure. Yeah, I mean, that's true. But, um, I mean, just for them, it's just a different thing. Yep. They think we all do cocaine. At least when I was in Virginia, it was like, so, like, do you sell it? Like, <laughs> no. You have any? No, man. What the fuck? <laughs> I don't understand. So. Oh man, that's. Wait, how old were you when you were in Virginia? Uh, eighteen. I mean, I got there when I was seventeen, eighteen, nineteen, twenty. That was a tough age. Yeah, I mean, I was in college. Yeah. I mean, he went to uh, where'd you go? Like uh, Missouri, Wisconsin. Oh. Oh yeah. my goodness. Yeah, Missouri loves company, yeah. as they say. Yeah. Right. Uh, <laughs> Perfect state for you. Yeah. 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 Uh. Yeah, so I was in I was in Missouri four years, and then uh, I lived in Wisconsin about three, give or take. Um, nice. So yeah, I mean, my experience was a little different. It's I mean, Missouri and Wisconsin are not like you know deep South clan meetings or whatever. Uh, at least not that that I'm aware of, uh, or that I was aware of at the time. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, people have their ideas of what Miami is and isn't, and even if they've been here, you know, very few people leave Miami Beach. Yeah, that's uh, true. So. But it, it was never something that was necessarily uncomfortable. I think, uh, I think the being Cuban was more a source of discomfort uh, than being from Miami, right? Because I, I was always very like engaged in all the activist stuff, mm -hmm. and I think one of the things that I think makes Miami unique is um, maybe not unique, but different from a lot of other places is. Um, 
I, I, I tend to say that we have like a very casual relationship with, uh, with race and ethnicity yeah. in, in the sense that, you know, uh, whatever flaws people, everybody tends to think that the grass is green on the other side. But I, my experience being away from here is that com comparatively Miami has uh, so many of all of these different groups that they start to lose their significance in the sense of like liking and disliking people. Yeah. Right. right. Like, you know, so many Venezuelans, you know, so many Colombians, you know, so many Cubans, you know, so many Nicaraguans, you know, so many Haitians that like, like, yeah, maybe you have some preconceived notions or whatever, but it's then I would go to, to Missouri and even among Hispanics, right? Very few of those people came from places where they had ever met you know, uh, a Cuban or a Puerto Rican or a nigga. It was so many Mexicans and Central Americans. Um, and so even among like the minority groups in Tregomilla, like I would encounter, uh, I would say to the extent that there was any kind of like, let's call it bigotry, um, I encountered more of it among uh, minority groups in Missouri Interesting. than I did from like, I don't know, white people or, right. you know, white American people, because I'm pretty white myself, but. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, that's the other thing too, right? It's like, we're, we're white guys, but you're Cuban, I'm Cuban, and it's kind of like, well, that's weird. That was like their thing. Right. But I, I Virginia is specific, right? Also, like, I, I was in Southwest Virginia, which Northern Virginia and Southwest Virginia are like completely different worlds. When you go to Northern Virginia, it's like very, I'm not gonna say like modern, but just like, I don't know, di way different. Yeah, way different. So, so how would you define Miami culture? I don't think it really has a definition. I think a melting pot of like a lot of different cultures is who we are. I think that's yeah. what makes us pretty special. I yeah, agree. It's kind of like what he was saying. It's like, yeah, you know, there's so much of there's so much of everything here. It's like, yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't see like when I go to other places like in Virginia, it was like legit. It was just like there was Mexicans, African Americans, and white people. It's like that's it, and so like that's, and then that was like the one Cuban, like me. Yeah. And they're like, well, we don't know where to put you, but here it's like everything, you know. And then, I think growing up in that is a benefit because you just, you get used to a lot of different culture. And I think, from the food side, it, uh, we've grown a lot. I know this is totally off subject, but it's all like the, um, the amount of cultures that are here, you get you get exposed to so many different types of food, and now like you could really just get anything. Mm -hmm. you know which is very indicative of like a big city with that has that melting pot vibe you know in new york chicago and stuff like that la um you get whatever you know jamaican food haitian food cuban food venezuelan food nicaraguan food you know you can go, even go to wagons west and get some biscuits and gravy okay that's true yeah i think that a lot of times we fall into the trap of and maybe all three of us have done it at different times of conflating Miami culture and Cuban culture, right? Mm. But Miami is also so many other things. I, I think I think Miami can kind of, to the extent that like, if you have to define what is Miami culture, and I think it's fair to do because you do it for other cities too. I think Miami can like more or less neatly be split into two things. And there's old Miami, right? And it's, mm. it's the, it's like old Coconut Grove and that like old, you know, yeah. Bahamian uh, uh, thing. All of the people who were upset when the Cubans started showing up in the, you know, in the late 50s and 60s. Yeah. Uh, so there's that. There's old Miami. Um, and then I think just broadly, people who 
are fleeing something, mm. right? Because even among non-Hispanics or, you know, even, sure. even like domestically, you know, the influx now of like Californians and New Yorkers and whatever else, like yeah. they're leaving something more than they're coming to something. Right, like you go to New York and LA, and it's like, oh, I came here to be an actor, and yeah. I came here to, you know, to, to be in the restaurant business, or like people come to Miami, it's like I couldn't take this and I couldn't take that. Right. Maybe you couldn't take COVID restrictions in New York, or you couldn't take communism in Venezuela, or you couldn't take, you know, murderous, you know, uh, governments in Haiti, or whatever it might be. And I, I, th I think that that's kind of the the common thread, and I think it's where Miami, where a lot of Miami kind of derives its like, um, and I, I know Dave Arvello. Um, who was a guest on our podcast has has made this point too. Like he, one of the things that he's come to love about Miami and the time that he's been living here, which is like maybe a couple of years, um, it's like a year, yeah, for like a year, is is this sort of like anti authoritarianism that mm -hmm. even people in Miami don't necessarily know they have in them, right? Um, and and so I, if I'm trying to define Miami culture, I think it's a culture that's you know split somewhat evenly between like old Miami and the side of Miami that's sought some kind of refuge or, right. or fled something. You're so right. I hadn't thought of it that way. I always say that it's like, you know, the real U.S., the mm. real land of opportunity, the real melting pot of what, like, the United States, the sure. modern new United States right. is thought to be. Yeah. Yeah, but I like your definition better. And the definition <laughs> leaves some people out, right? Because there are people who don't fit neatly into that either, you know. Right. But I, but I think that there's a reason, you know, not that people come and feel like unwelcome, but like Puerto Ricans, right? Are the, Orlando is a much more Puerto Rican town yeah. than say Miami. I think it's because Nicaraguans get here and Venezuelans get here and even Haitians get here and they find in that broad sense like, "Oh, this isn't just an immigrant culture, this is a refuge culture." Yeah. Right? Like, we all came here for the same reasons. Right. And there's, you know, there's, there's room for everybody to flourish, it feels like here. Right, right, right. You know, like a bunch of our neighbors now are from California, Texas, right, New York. Um, and it's interesting to watch them all flock to, like, mm. the, and they, the and they city connect. where the, the elderly would come die off. Right. And they connect with that aspect of, of the Hispanic culture here, too, right? Like, yeah. the, the people get fed up with, uh, you know, let's call it, you know, uh, government overreach in, right. in the state of New York, they come here and no, you didn't just flee Castro's Cuba, but suddenly now you're looking th at the world through this lens of like, oh, government affects my life. And this is, yeah. this is a place where whether government here always lines up with it, mm -hmm. right? Culturally, I think that's a, a value in Miami that exists in a way that it doesn't elsewhere. Right. Mm. Absolutely. Yeah. And we saw that through COVID more than ever. Right. We went to see, oh my God, what's that comedian's name? Uh, that he, the Russia guy. Do you know who I'm talking about? The, the guy that does it. He does his act without a shirt. Oh, Burke Kreischer. Yes, thank yeah, you. Yeah, the I machine. Know, the machine. Thank you. So, you ever seen see? the machine? No. Oh, I'll send oh, it to you. It's good. You have to watch. It is okay. It's hilarious. It's so so yeah. funny. So we went to see him a couple months ago, and he he said that in in his stand up, he was like. You guys just don't give a shit. You do whatever the heck you want down here. <laughs> We're like, that's right. That pretty much defines us to right, a T. Right. Um, so to uh, segue into, you brought up food a few minutes ago, mm -hmm. uh, Mike, uh, the culinary world here in Miami. How is that changing as we have this influx of everybody coming down? Oh, you mean like from the the people from other places? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, there's some people doing some good stuff. 
And then there's some people doing some like trash stuff. You know, I think that um, I think people like the Simon Kims of the world that uh, brought Coat to Miami. I think he's doing like really solid work. I think it's a concept that, you know, we didn't really have anything of that style and it suits Miami super well. And I think Simon, we had Simon on our podcast. Mm -hmm. That was also a very good. That was good. He's super Um, interesting. Incredibly interesting. He still texts me all the time to have martinis, and he knows that I don't drink those. But he's like, "Let's go." Have <laughs> he's martinis. a martini man for yeah. sure. Um, so, you know, and like to his point, I mean, I think the first question I asked him was like, "Are you here to be a part of our community or to destroy it?" Oh. And um, he had a good response. I mean, he had been here for, um, you know, they had signed a lease like years years before COVID happened. Now, other people from other places, I don't think that they're quite the same. And they've, you know, publicly said, like, they're not really interested in being part of the community or they don't really care, like, what vegetables grow here, or what farms have or whatever. They're just going to charge a high ticket and people are going to go eat their fucking bagels for 125 bucks. That's pretty much who they are. You said bagels for 125 bucks? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's that's a thing? That's a thing that exists. So, wow. Um, you I'm not find, going there. You can find the review of it on infatuation.com, written by another podcast podcast guest, Ryan Pfeffer. Oh, the old pfefferoni. The old pfefferoni. <laughs> so, you know, I think the community is changing. But I do, what I do think is that the backbone of the, compu- the community, which are the people that have been here for a long time, that came up here or that left and came back or that are from here, I think they're all doing, like, really special work. And I think it shows in kind of the product that we're putting out there. Um, You know, as a city, I think that this food, like, the food is pretty amazing and like i said from everything from mom and pop to like uh culturally driven restaurants like cuban jamaican haitian whatever there's like everything now and it's all good you know Mm -hmm. and you know when you get to the chef driven restaurants like you have smaller places now that people are going to and i think that miami has changed in the dynamic that they are focusing more on the local people than they did before. And I think COVID had a lot to do with that because mm-hmm. instead of like being like, well, there's, there's, there's this big se- sexy, uh, what's it called? Sexy fish, sexy fish, sexy fish place that opened them down the street, you know, and they have shockingly a tuna tartare. Um, <laughs> maybe we'll go to this place that um, it's a little Italian place and they only have 20 seats and, the chefs Alex and Lucci are there every day and you know they've been nominated for a beard before and they crank out some of the best food I think in the state on the east coast however you want to paint that picture maybe we should just go there instead and I think we're seeing more of that you know and it's to be said about several restaurants you know so I think how is it changing I think that the community of Miami is becoming stronger especially like the people that are from here and then also to the benefit of us, the people that are moving here as they're moving here for whatever, not to open restaurants or not to, they just, they, they dine a lot, you know, where they're coming from, they dine a lot. And I think that that's great. And, you know, we're seeing a different type of clientele also that also helps us do other things. And then along dining alongside the Miami community, you know, as we get to do more things and we get to push ourselves more we get to put out more stuff and and things that maybe Miami hasn't seen before. Like, you know, I think the area at my menu right now is probably the most progressive it's ever been. 
Um, Nick. On the subject of... Uh, Harriet's menu. I mean, you've been eating oh, it for a long time. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I didn't know if you were like... I'm asking me you to address you, the question. Yeah, no, that's absolutely true. Yeah. So, um, you know, I, it's just... It's good. It's a good... It's a good growth. It's a healthy growth. I think that the... The food community um, is really accepting it. The beverage community is definitely accepting it because, you know, people are drinking a lot. Um, so, you know, it's good. This is all good stuff. Yeah. You know, we've seen a couple of like, I think the scene has gone through like peaks and valleys in the last like 30 years. And, you know, I think that we're definitely in a peak right now. Not we haven't reached the peak, but I think we're, we're on, headed that way. We're on we're on that trajectory for sure. Is there pressure to keep up with trends, like in the food? I don't do industry? trends. Yeah. No, I have no interest in trends. But it's more like what we're talking about with the podcast. Like I don't right. care what other people are doing. Right. I'm gonna do what I think is right. That's why I always go back to the tuna tartare reference because that's that's a hard trend. Mm-hmm. Wasabi aioli, tuna tartare, some kind of wonton cracker. You know, um, it's gonna be like in every like cookie cutter or whatever the fuck restaurant, right? So. You know, if there are trends, I don't know what they are, and I I don't feel any pressure at all whatsoever. Maybe other people do it on me, but that's also you know what. That's the brand that you're. They, that's what you're offering people, right? Like there are other places that people you know. This is not to like extol the virtues sure. of tuna tartare, but there there are some really good tuna tartare. No, and, and I'm not I'm not dissing yeah, the dish. Okay, and, and I think that you it, it is possible to have a restaurant where the point of the restaurant is that you know you don't want to be challenged. You go to Ariette and like it's you're in for a ride. Right. You don't need to be on a ride three meals a day. That's true, but like I don't yeah. think I don't think Chugs is like a ride. No, I'm just saying Ariette right. in particular. Oh yeah, yeah. But even Chugs, I mean, what 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 constitutes a ride is different for different people. There are people who want straight masita puerco. They don't want it to be pork belly. Sure. You know, and and there's a place for that. I'm just saying, like it's there's um, it's just it, that it's not what you do. Right, but I mean, there's also like you know, Chugs. Whatever, I'm not gonna get into this conversation. But like, <laughs> Chugs has got like a potato, like a basically a hash, eggs and toast dish with lechon. No, no lechon. Eggs anyway. Like it's just. Oh, you? I, think, it, no, I was thinking of the hash. Is that a breakfast? Yeah, it's just like the like you know that's not challenging. That, no, pork hash isn't like challenging. But it's different. But is different. Does different mean challenging? If I if I'm going to a breakfast diner. Like somebody just said, you do you want to go to a breakfast diner? And I say yes. Uh-huh. I'm thinking corned beef hash. I'm not thinking lechon hash. I find corned beef hash more challenging for me just because I don't like it. I'm just saying challenging conceptually. Like it challenges sure. your presuppositions about what's going to be on the menu. Got it. Yeah, I don't mean challenging like it's tough to get down your throat. I'm like challenging in the sense of like right. it challenges your ideas of what the meal is going to be. And from a comfort standpoint and a, a predictability standpoint, there's that's some of what people want some of the time it's not a knock on that or a not for god's sake i you know spend what little money i make doing this podcast at mike's restaurants so uh <laughs> that's not wrong yeah so it's I'm, it's definitely not a knock on mike it's just that it you know it, it, it is a, a challenge in a way that i think people enjoy that's why people go there is because they like having it's why people like good art it's why people like right. you know it's why people love velocipaster because uh, sure. it challenges your idea of what a movie is going to be, mm-hmm. you know. Agreed. You're the Velocipaster of Miami Shops. Makes sense. Yeah. That's a good point. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> that is not what I meant to say. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> I meant you were innovative. Uh-huh. Yeah. You know? No, no. Yeah, for sure. Okay. Just clearing that up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so as you know, um, we are in essence a literary podcast. So I have to ask the question: What's like your favorite book? You want to go first, or um, like my favorite book that I've read? You know, like the easy answer would be like Kitchen Confidential, right? Yeah, I've read that book a million times. Um, the Devil in the Kitchen is probably one of my favorite books. Um, and the apprentice, uh, the apprentice. Um, Devil in the Kitchen is about Marco Pierre White and The Apprentice is about Jacques Pepin. Okay. And they're just like, you know, two very different lives, uh, two very great chefs. So I think, you know, good stuff. Um, none of mine are food related. Uh, Shocker. Well, I mean, whatever. It's, you know, I'm only food adjacent, right? Uh, yeah, that's right. Um, I, I don't know that I would like put them in order, but... Uh, uh, Waiting for Snow in Havana is uh, is one of my favorite books by uh, Carlos Eire, uh or Air. I don't know how I forget now how he pre- uh, pre- prefers to pronounce it. Um, Big Trouble by Dave Barry, which they made uh, and I wouldn't say awful. There are worse movies, but it was like kind of a cheesy. It was a Tim Allen movie that they made. Based I don't, on I don't think I've ever seen it. So it was supposed to be released in September of two thousand one, and it was a comedy about a nuclear bomb on a plane. Oh. Oh. So they like really delayed well. it, and then when it made it to theaters, like they gave it no publicity. They just like put it out there, but it's uh, but it's like a very Miami. If you read any Dave Barry, like mm-hmm. imagine yeah. Dave, Dave yeah. Barry novel. Okay. Uh, so it's like one of the funniest things that I've ever read. Um, uh, I love Angela's Ashes by Frank McCourt. I actually just shipped that to a friend in uh, who had just moved to New York. Because uh, she was asking for book recommendations, I was like, "Here, have this. You know, put it in the, right. in the box of books." Um, and um, and outside of that, honestly, I, I read very little. Mm-hmm. I read very little fiction. Um, so okay, so you read mostly nonfiction. Yeah, now. yeah. Um, which I guess "Waiting for Snow" isn't nonfiction, and neither is uh, "Is Angela's Ashes." So that, right. that checks. Um. And then, uh, totally different kind of thing, but Basic Economics by Thomas Sowell. Uh, you're Thomas Sowell fan? Yes. Yeah. So Basic Economics is... He is. Yeah. It's like that the... That man is a genius. Yeah. Incredible. And yeah, what yeah. a life, too. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so that's up there. I would say, like, if anybody wanted to familiarize themselves with, like, title gives it away, right? It's about Basic Economics. Um, he was the, like, a basically a protege of Milton Friedman's. Mm-hmm. Um, and and so that's what that is. Um, yeah, I'm sure if I kept thinking, I would think of other ones, but those are like up there. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. Thank, well, thank you guys you. For, for being here and sharing um, all your stories and wealth of information. And um, we'll make sure to have everything linked down below. And thank you to everybody listening and watching or watching. Uh, make sure to check out Pancom Podcast yeah. and... <laughs> Good night, everybody. <laughs>